do something a little bit different tonight, a little special. I want to put this together for Christmas. Um, but I want to talk to you. This is really off, off the tracks. You're really used to me opening up a Bible book and teaching it, and I'm going to teach Bible tonight for sure. But I want to talk to you about what I think may be the greatest Christmas carol ever written. Now, I know I'm going to step on some shoes because some of you are going to disagree. You're going to go with Silent Night. You're going to go with some other uh, little drummer boy something. You're going to disagree with me. You can disagree with me. We're all still saved, and we're going to stay in unity. But I'm going to suggest to you that the greatest... More than the, I, I, wanna, I don't want to get in trouble. Many of the Christmas carols that we sing are theologically rich. Have you ever realized that? Have you ever stopped and thought about what you were singing? They are theologically, Christologically rich. But here we go. Hark the herald angels sing. May take the cake. Because of its theological richness. So I'm going to just unpack that Christmas carol a little bit tonight. Because listen, this Christmas carol, I could take three months and preach on what is in this carol. I, really. It's, as a matter of fact, we're going to read it here in a minute. And then at the end of the service, we're going to sing it. But we're going to sing it with a whole lot more understanding than we've got right now. All right? So you think God can bless the message on Hark the Herald Angels Sing? You think he can bless it? Yeah. All right. Father, just thank you for your word tonight. And thank you, Lord, for what you put in these hymns. Because, Lord, this carol is so rich. Lord, enrich us from it tonight. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, do you have the lyrics to it where you can put them up on the screen real quick? All right. Let's just like we always do every week, but we're just going to read the hymn because it's not that long. But I want you to think of what we're reading. This is powerful. Ready? Read it with me. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim... Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings and risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Give the Lord a hand.
Amen. You can be seated. Tell your neighbor this is going to be good. Amen. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of the history of this hymn. Um, this hymn was written by Charles Wesley, brother to John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism. John, along with George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, and a couple of other men, were the torches of the Great Awakening. George Whitfield, the primary evangelistic torch. But John Wesley rode a horse all over everywhere, thousands of miles, well into his 80s, to preach the gospel. I can't imagine driving all over the country in a minivan or a retirement trailer or whatever those things, the Winnebago. Uh, after a while, you start to hurt. He rode a horse. All right? John was the preacher, but Charles was the songwriter. Charles wrote over 6,000 hymns. I want you to think about that. More than any other male writer in history, but he was outdone by a female. All you women say amen. amen. Only Fanny Crosby beats him. She wrote 8,000 hymns. How do you do that? 8,000 hymns, what she did. Now listen to Charles' motive for writing these hymns. He wanted to teach the poor and the illiterate sound doctrine. Did you catch that? He knew that music was a powerful vehicle for teaching truth. He knew it. You can teach truth through music like hardly any other medium. And, and that's why we here at Turning Point are very careful to check out the lyrics in the songs we sing because many are great, many are fine, but some these days will contain uh, false and misleading messages about Christ, Christianity, biblical truth, and you got to catch it because if you don't catch it, the music is seductive and you're so caught up in what you're singing you don't think about what you are singing and you come to believe a falsehood about Christianity, Christ, or biblical truth. So we're very careful. We, we scan them. We, we, we make sure it's sound doctrine in the songs we sing. If you appreciate that or not, but I appreciate it. because I, I don't want you being exposed. I, I can't help what you listen to during the week, but I can help what you listen to here. All right? Now, John Wesley was himself a famous theologian, brilliant man really and truly. Great theologian. But he said this about Charles Hymnal. Charles Hymnal, the 6,000 hymns, was the best theological book in existence, according to his brother John. Maybe just a brother thing to say, because he was his brother, but what a compliment. If you want sound theology, read Charles' hymns. Hark the Herald Angels Sing was one of them. Now, how did Hark the Herald Angels Sing come about? Well, while walking to church one Christmas day, Charles was inspired by the beautiful sounds of London church bells. It just, he heard the bells and it set off an inspiration that became Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So he wrote the hymn first as a poem, and that poem appeared in a volume called Hymns and Sacred Poems in 1739. 
he wrote it so that it could be read on Christmas Day. And he wrote it one year after his conversion. That's some tall writing after one year. That's understanding some tall theology in one year. Then, as if it needed something stronger added to it, George Whitfield, the future torch of the Great Awakening, the great evangelist Whitfield, who at the time was a student and a close friend of John Wesley's, they both went to Oxford together. Um, they adapted the, or he adapted the poem into a song, the song that we know today, the song that we're going to uh, sing here at the end. It was Whitfield who added this to the poem, Newborn King. Whitfield added that. So we got two heavyweights behind this hymn, Charles Wesley and George Whitfield. Whoa. Because Whitfield is one of my heroes of the faith, an incredible preacher. That's another message. So I want to just unpack this really powerful hymn a little bit tonight and see what it teaches us about Jesus. Because the most important thing a newborn believer or even a lifelong Christian can be sure that they've got straight is their Christology. Christology being what you believe about Jesus, who he was, why he came, what he did, what he accomplished, where he is now. Did you have your Christology clear and straight? Because how can we preach Christ to a world if we're not clear on who he was and is, right? So, so here's Charles Wesley, one year in the faith, and his Christology was sterling, okay? So let's, let's unpack it. Just a little bit of it. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory the newborn king. Right off the bat, first stanza in this hymn, he identifies Jesus as a king, capital K. John 149 says, Nathanael answered Jesus, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. From Old Testament times, all the prophets predicted that one would come onto the throne of David who would cause the throne of David to last forever. That's why Jesus was sometimes called the son of David. Jesus is the means by which the throne of David continues forever. And how does he do it? As king of kings and lord of lords. So Charles, right off the bat, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king they appear to tell the shepherds about. John 12, 15, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. That's John quoting Isaiah 40, verse 9. So it's prophetic fulfillment. 1 Timothy 6, 15, Paul calls Jesus the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords. So if I'm lost and I sing this hymn, the first thing I'm told, is that Jesus was a king with a capital K. Amen? And then, why did he come? Charles immediately lets us know, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. What did the coming of Jesus mean? That we could be reconciled to God with our sins washed away. Folks, we don't know the gravity of that. Because if he hadn't come, we'd be looking at a Christless, godless, 
eternity of torment. But he dealt with our sin, and he took God's hand and your hand and my hand and joined them. Amen? So here's Charles preaching through music. Peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners. Hey, reconciled. Now, if I'm out there just Christmas caroling or singing this in a church somewhere, and I sing that, do I stop and think about what I'm singing? Because of Jesus, I'm reconciled to God. And being reconciled to God, reconciliation this way begins to happen in my life as well. Because we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Every believer is called to be a communicator of this truth, that he came so that we could be reconciled to God. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Amen? So you say to people, you want to really know God? Let me tell you how. Go to the foot of the cross and come to Jesus, and he'll take your hand and God's hand, and he'll reconcile you to God. And he will never let you go after that. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5.19, that is in Christ, God was reconciling. In Christ, God was in Christ. Reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. Thank you, Jesus. And then entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. That's why every week, You'll notice when I preach, I try really hard to always weave a gospel message somewhere in that message, okay? Because we've been called, all of us together, not just me as a preacher, all of us, uh, he has given to us, entrusted to us, the message of reconciliation. And then the hymn informs us of where he was born, tells us right where he was born, with the angelic host proclaim. Christ was born in Bethlehem. Prophetic fulfillment. Listen to Micah 5, verse 2. O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are but a small Judean village. The Message Bible puts it this way. You're the least of the least. Little bitty Bethlehem. But you will be the birthplace of my king. My what? My king. Who is alive from everlasting ages past. Okay? Uh, 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 Micah tells us two crucial things. He's king, and he's everlasting to everlasting. In other words, he's talking about a deity being born in Bethlehem. So, truth again. Charles is preaching now. He's preaching. And then the hymn proclaims, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Two more powerful Christological truths. Every Christian ought to understand this. He's everlasting. So I repeat, uh, uh, we were told in Micah, and now we're told again. In this hymn, quoting the Bible, Jesus was everlasting. He was not created. When Jesus was born, that was not the beginning of Jesus. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around eternal anything. My mind goes into a pretzel. If I start trying to comprehend or think through the idea of eternity. But here's the thing. Eternity backward and eternity forward, Jesus has always been and he always will be. Yeah. 
All right? Why? Because he's God. God the Son. So, very important to remember. The Mormons will tell you he was, he was born. Well, the Mormons will tell you that he's Lucifer's brother. Jehovah's Witnesses tell you that he was not God. But the Bible says, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. He's God. So here's, here's Charles Wesley, one year old in the faith, but his Christology is excellent. And then he lets us know for sure, virgin birth, offspring of a virgin's womb. So he rightly identifies Jesus as the everlasting Lord, and from eternity past to eternity future, always been, always will be, and he was the offspring of a virgin. His conception was miraculous. His birth was miraculous. Never happened before. It'll never happen again. Supernatural. So as soon as you uh, are introduced to a genuine recitation of the Christmas story, you're hit with a miracle. You, you have to embrace a miracle. How did she conceive God the Holy Ghost? For the first time in history and never be again, a virgin had a baby. Contrary to all natural law. And it's in the hymn. Charles is preaching in the hymn. The truth of Jesus. And then next he goes where very few pulpits any longer do. It's unfortunate. But so many of the pulpits today, and I love preachers, I love pastors, I'm not slamming anybody, I'll never name a name, I don't go there. But Western preaching, preaching has gotten so weak in so many areas because it's not about Jesus didn't come so we could say, uh, he came to make me rich. He, he came to give me the better, best car on the block. He came, came to give me a mansion. He came to make me wealthy financially. Uh, all the blessings of Abraham and all of this. That is not why he came. He came to reconcile us to God. That's why he came. Okay? Now, it's not that he won't bless you financially. Some people are more blessed financially than others. I have no problem with financial blessing. I don't want to see anybody in poverty. Of course not. But we've got to be careful that we don't relay that this is the reason for Christianity or the reason that he came. It's not. He came to deliver us from certain destruction. He came to deliver us from a godless, Christless eternity of torment. He came to... He came to redeem us and carry us to glory. He came to reconcile us to God and to fill us with the Holy Spirit that we could become a child of God. That's why he came. But here's what a lot of pulpits are doing these days. Uh, it's motivational speeches. You got it going on. You're all that in a bag of chips and you're going to go change the world and you are incredible, and you are this, and you are that. But the greatest preaching is he is this, and he is that. And focus on him. Because the better you understand him, the more you're going to be changed. Okay? So here's where Charles went. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. 
Hail the incarnate deity. He's telling us that the Godhead wrapped itself in skin. Hail the incarnate deity. There's the message of the incarnation. Hail the incarnate deity. Deity was incarnated to become a human being. As Colossians says, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Did you catch that? In him, in Jesus, is all the fullness of the entire Godhead in bodily form. When Jesus looked at you, he saw straight through you, read your mail, knew all about you before you ever told him one thing. Because he that was alive for eternity past and all of eternity future, nothing is news to him. Okay? So here's beautiful Christological teaching in this hymn. He's honoring the clear teaching of Scripture regarding who Jesus truly was. God the Son, deity incarnate. God walking around. God veiled in flesh. Notice he says veiled. For the first 30 years of his life, <clears throat> except for Mary and Joseph, I don't think that they ever told the rest of the siblings who Jesus was because they thought he'd lost his mind when he started his ministry. But Mary and Joseph knew what the angels had told them. So except for them, he was veiled. You know who he was. You didn't know the extent of who this young man was until he started his ministry and the power was released and the anointing was released and Satan began to be flushed out of nowhere. And he did miracles and walked on water and raised the dead. Then he began to see what had been veiled for 30 years. Veiled in flesh. The Godhead. Charles is preaching. Amen? A little bit more truth. Jesus became a man so that he could dwell among us. He became a man so that he could identify with us. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Jesus, God, became a human being. Now, now watch this. I've preached this, but I'm going to say it again. While on the earth, he never gave up his deity. Do you get that? Because there are those that teach that he gave up his deity when he left heaven. He never did. He gave up, he gave up glory. He gave up his privileges, but he never gave up deity. He was all God, all man, all man, all God the whole time he was on earth. So anytime you hear somebody teach, well, he left his deity and he just became all human and that's what he was. And every miracle that he did, he did by faith, just like we must know. What he did, he did it as deity. He never gave it up. Then the hymn gives more wonderful descriptors of Jesus. We're coming towards the close. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings risen with healing in his wings. The designations of Prince of Peace and Son of Righteousness are plucked straight out of Isaiah and Malachi's prophecies. Malachi said the Son of Righteousness is going to arise with healing in his wings. There's Malachi. And Isaiah said you will call his name Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
So here's Charles preaching the prophets in a song. Hail the son of the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. And he's a light. He's a light. And that's what he put light and light to all he brings. The prophets predicted that where Jesus, the Messiah, went, it would be spiritual light. And that light would shine into the dark. John said, the light came and the light shined into the dark and the darkness did not receive it. But he shined anyway because he was the light of the world. He was light and in him there is no darkness at all. Amen? And then Charles proceeds to lay down even more wonderful Christology. Or Christology. Here it is. Mild, he lays his glory by. As I've already mentioned, Jesus laid aside his glory. He gave up his royal privileges. He laid it aside. In heaven he was adored, worshipped, obeyed. God the Son, right next to God the Father. But here's Philippians 2, 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something he would cling to. Why did he not cling to it? He loved you and me so much, he was willing to let go of it to come to earth. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. So he gave up his glory, he gave up his privileges, but he never gave up his deity, and he came to earth. Now think about it. One day he got a towel, and he sat down, and he started washing the disciples' dirty, sandy, sweaty feet. God. Peter said, uh-uh, no way. I'll wash yours, but you're not washing mine. If I don't wash your feet, Peter, you have no part with me because you don't get it. I came to serve. So through him, all things came into being that are. Everything created went through the fingertips of Jesus. Everything. He created everything. That's all through the New Testament. That's solid Christology. Now, that creator and God the Son bowed down and washed the feet of sinful men. Think about that. That's powerful. And then the hymn provides three key reasons that he came, and I'll do them quickly. Born that man no more may die. Why did he come? So that we would not die and go to hell. That's why he came, okay? To banish death and give us eternal life. But then there was a second reason. Born to raise the sons of earth. What does that mean? That's talking about the resurrection that's coming. Jesus said, I assure you the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And Jesus in another place said, they're going to come out of the grave when they hear my voice. So here's Charles preaching the future resurrection in a song. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them a second birth. That's the third truth about Jesus. He came so that we could be born twice. Born again. He came so we could be born again. Amen? He came so we could be born again. And this means that anybody who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Now, let me just quickly sum it up. This powerful hymn, 
<laughs> Do you see how rich the Christology is? Every, every verse is a truth about Jesus. Here it is. It's covered his royalty, his ministry of reconciliation, his birthplace, his deity, his virgin birth, his prophetic titles, his incarnation, his power to raise the dead, and his power to give us a second birth, all in one song. Whoa! Now, I double-dog dare you to show me a better one, right? I mean, that is rich. So what we're going to do is we're going to stand and we're going to sing it, and I think they're ready. I trust they're ready. I don't see them out here yet. I saw them all go back there. Uh, so we're just going to stand here and look stupid till they come out. There they are. Okay. We're going to sing. Amen. Hark the herald angels sing. How many of you can sing it with a little bit more understanding now? Amen. Uh, when we get to heaven, we're going to thank Charles for this great hymn. So you're going to lead us, Pastor Ronnie. Here we go. Here comes the singers. One right after another, after another, after another. Give them a hand. We're ready. anyway. Amen.
Amen. Now this Sunday, you know what? Bring somebody who needs Jesus because they're liable to get saved. Amen. Do you believe that? They're liable to get saved. Amen. I want to encourage you to have a great, great week leading up to Christmas. And let's just pray together. And I'm going to let you go unless somebody has a question. Does anybody have a question? Anybody have one? Yes, ma'am. Seventeen thirty-eight, I think. Seventeen thirty. What I? It was something like that. Early, early eighteenth century. Early eighteenth century. Long time ago. Huh? I missed it by a year. Thirty-nine. There you go. Anybody else? All right. Rich stuff. Father, thank you. Can we just worship the Lord for a minute? Just lift your hands to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you did for us, your redemption. We praise you and worship you and glorify you. Thank you for your peace and your blessing. Help us to remember for the rest of our days why you came, who you were, and who you're coming back as and what you're coming back to do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Hang around in fellowship. Say hello to somebody. Amen.